Amen. Well now, if you have your Bibles, I wonder if you'll turn with me to the book of Revelation, please. And what I want to do this morning is, for a little while, we're going to be looking at what it means to really be part of the kingdom of God, or what it means to be truly born again of the Spirit of God. If you like, the, this message is really about which city you belong to. Okay. Which city do you belong to? And uh, I just want to mention a few things, because in the Bible, there are really only two cities that, that are really run through the word of God. One city is the city called Babylon, and the other one is the city called Jerusalem. And the truth of the matter is, either you or I belong to one of those or the other. We cannot belong to both. We are either those who are registered in Babylon, or we are those that are registered in Jerusalem. And depending on which camp you and I are in, ultimately will determine our eternal destiny. And therefore it is of absolute paramount importance that we know to whom we belong. Okay? It's vital that we understand what the scriptures say in regard to the nature of one who really is born again of the Spirit. And we don't simply think we're born again of the Spirit because we go with the flow. Or because we belong to, dare I say it, a good church. <laughs> or because we are nice people. Or because we speak Christianese. Or because we do good works for others. Or because other people say we're Christians. Or because we have the name of being a good Christian. We are either in Babylon or we are in Jerusalem. And it is the burden of my heart that there's nobody in this room that belongs to Babylon but appears to belong to Jerusalem. Because that means that you're on the way to destruction. It means that you're on the way to eternal hell if you belong to Babylon. If you belong to the city above, Jerusalem, it means that you are on your way to eternal and everlasting glory. That's why we cannot play games behind a lectern. That's why when we minister the word of God, we can't be full of throth and bubble and jokes and entertainment because we're dealing with the matter of people's souls and that for the whole of eternity. And people wonder why we're serious about these things. To whom do you belong? To whom do I belong? I want to mention firstly about the city of Babylon. If you turn with me to the book of Genesis, we read about Babel. In Genesis chapter 11. And we really have basically, in a short passage, a snapshot of what ultimately will happen to Babylon. Genesis chapter 11, please. Verse 1, now the whole earth had one language and one speech, 
And it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar and they dwelt there. Then they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They had brick for stone and they had asphalt for mortar. And they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. Now, in that statement, you have the nature and character and personality of Babylon. First of all, in verse 1, notice that the word one comes out twice. One language, one speech, one world order. <laughs> it's all related to it. And the attempt is to stay together to do our own thing, to reach up to God, and to actually put man on the throne. That's what Babylon is all about, putting man on the throne. Man-centeredness is the nature of Babylon. Man-centeredness. The exhortation and worship and idolatry of self. That's the nature of Babylon. And then he goes on to say, come let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens. You see, let us make a name for ourselves. Let us make a name for ourselves. There's nothing about the glory of God in this at all, is there? There's no building up for the glory of God. And we read in Psalm 127, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Vanity is the essence of Babylon. Vanity speaks of a lie. That's what it means from the Hebrew. And this world, friends, is built on a lie. You find the nature of it here in Genesis chapter 11. And then in verse 5 we read, But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men have built. And the Lord said, Indeed, the people are one, and they all have one language. I want to suggest to you, dear friends, just something that struck me this morning as I was meditating on this verse. They all have one language. We all know that that means they speak the same language. But let's put it like this. Their language is self. The oneness of their language was really the idolatry of themselves. It wasn't just simply the fact that they were speaking the same words to one another. But actually, doesn't it also speak of the fact that actually it represents what they were about. Their one language essentially was the worship of man. And this is what they began to do. Now nothing that they propose to do will be withheld from them. Now notice what the Lord says here. The Lord realizes they are, nothing's going to stop them. Unless the Lord comes down, of course. Verse 7, come let us Go down. By the way, this is a great word to bring to the Jehovah's Witnesses who believe that God is just one single person and not one yet three. Because in this passage, God says, let us go down. And in verse 8, it says, so the Lord scattered them. Let us go down, so the Lord scattered them. Okay? It wasn't the Lord plus angels. It was just the Lord. And when you bring this to the JWs, there's no answer for this fact other than God, must be plural, yet one. Okay? Come, let us go down and there confuse their language, that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of all the earth, and they ceased building the city. Therefore the name is called Babel, confusion, because the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of all the earth. In other words, dear friends, the Lord made an end of Babylon. He scattered Babel throughout. They could not get what they were trying to build to be finished. Everything that man attempts to ultimately finish in reaching up to God will be thwarted. It will come to an end. It will not come to any ultimate conclusion. It will be finished. And this is what we find in the word of God. In Revelation chapter 18. If you turn there with me please. Revelation chapter 18. Revelation chapter 18. And I'm going to read from verse 20. 
Revelation 18. Verse 20, rejoice over her, O heaven, and you, holy apostles and prophets, for God has avenged you on her. Then a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, Thus with violence the great city Babylon shall be thrown down and shall not be found any more. The sound of harpists, musicians, flutists, and trumpeters shall not be heard in you any more. Amazing. You go on to read a little bit more, and you read about um, in verse in chapter nineteen, verse one. After all this mention of the destruction, uh, the the dealing of Babylon. After these things, I heard a loud voice, a great multitude in heaven, saying, "Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and honor and power belong to the Lord our God." For true and righteous are his judgments, because he has judged the great harlot who corrupted the earth with her fornication, and he has avenged on her the blood of his servants shed by her. Again they said, Alleluia! Her smoke rises up forever and ever. And the twenty-four elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God, who sat on the throne, saying, Amen! Alleluia! Then a voice from the throne saying, Praise our God, all you his servants and those who fear him, both small and great. Hallelujah. Babylon is fallen. The Lord is on the throne. It's marvelous, isn't it? And the great news is, brothers and sisters, that actually if you belong to the Jerusalem above, you belong to a city that will never fall, that will never, ever come to ruin. But if you belong to Babylon, all these things, you will be bound in. You will be bound to. Because you have put your trust in this earth, in this system, in this world. You see how dangerous it is to be part of Babylon. Now, Babylon seems so immovable. I mean, when you look at Babylon, the great city that destroyed, that had authority over other nations, you, it just seemed as though it was immovable, didn't it? It felt like that it, Babylon was unbelievably strong and able to simply stop anybody in its tracks. That's Babylon. But Babylon is fallen. And this world seems so sure, so secure but it is being shaken. And we need to know what kingdom we belong to, whether we belong to Babylon, which will one day fall, or whether we belong to Jerusalem, the city above. You read about in the book of Jeremiah, the, 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 the prophet speaks of the destruction of Babylon in Jeremiah 51, and we haven't got time to go through all these scriptures, but dear friends, let us not put our trust in Babylon. Let us not be those that seek to drink of its harlotry, its godlessness. So many people are deceived, the nations deceived, being in Babylon. But God wants the people that are registered in Jerusalem. Now, Jerusalem, of course, is the other great city in the word of God. And you read about it being registered there in Psalm 87. Psalm 87 and in Psalm 87 and verse 1, we read concerning Jerusalem of the Lord. His foundation is in the holy mountains. The Lord loves the gates of Zion more than all the dwellings of Jacob. Glorious things are spoken of you, O city of God. Oh, this is much better, isn't it? The things are spoken of Babylon are destruction, ultimately. It may appear to be beautiful, but its beauty is, is, is a deception in and of itself. The truth of the matter is, the real city that is beautiful is the city of Jerusalem, according to the word of God. Verse 2, the Lord loves the gates of Zion more than all the dwellings of Jacob's glorious things are spoken of you, O city of God, Selah. Then it says in verse 4, I will make mention of Rahab and Babylon to those who know me. Behold, O Philistia and Tyre with Ethiopia, this one was born there. And of Zion, it will be said, what? This one and that one were born in 
her. And the Most High himself shall establish her. The Lord will record when he registers the peoples. This one was born there. Both the singers and the players on instruments say, All my springs of joy are in you. Oh, friends, Jerusalem is known in the word of God as the city of the great king, Psalm 48. It is known as the perfection of beauty, Psalm 50 and verse 2. And also we find in Psalm 125, it's a city which cannot be moved. Psalm 125, I'm going to read from verse 1, one of the songs of ascents. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved, but abides forever. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people. From this time forth and forever. Notice what the Lord says. If your trust is in the Lord, you're like man Zion. And here the word of God shows us that Zion as a city cannot be moved. And it says something similar to that in the book of Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 10, speaking of course of Abraham. It says concerning him that he was waiting for a city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. So friends, there's only one city. There's only one city that has foundations. Every other city is going to collapse unless it's built upon the foundation of the city of Jerusalem. And it means that it doesn't matter how sure your footing may be, if your foundations are not sure, you will fall. If you are in Babylon, you will crumple. But if you are in Jerusalem, you will not be moved. Not because you are anything of yourself, but because you're situated in a city that cannot be shaken, whose maker and builder is God. So where are you registered? You see how important this matter is. Babylon is going, is destined, it's heading so fast for the judgment of God. Jerusalem is the only alternative, the only alternative to being part of that judgment. So we need to know where we're registered. And dear friends, you know, the word of God is so wonderful because it shows us what it means to truly be born again of the spirit of God and what it means to really be somebody who's a citizen from above. I think somehow the understanding is different from what we would consider very often. Just because... We are so often deceived by the spirit of the age. But I want to mention three verses. Firstly, John chapter 8 and verse 23 says this. You, the Lord is speaking to the Pharisees and to the Jewish people. Now remember, the Pharisees were the religious leaders. If anybody's getting into the kingdom, it's the Pharisees, Right? They fast twice a week. They do all kinds of things. Jesus speaks to the Jewish people. And he says in verse 23, You are from beneath. Wow. I am from above. You are of this world and I am not of this world. Therefore I said to you that you will die in your sins. For if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. This is serious. Wow. The question is, where are you from? <laughs> are you from above? Or are you from beneath? 
Are you from the Jerusalem above? Or are you part of this world system beneath? This is the key, isn't it? This is what matters. Another scripture. 2 Corinthians 13 and verse 5. What are we to do about this? 2 Corinthians 13 and verse 5. Examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Paul is not writing to Caesar. Paul is not writing to Felix. He is writing to a church. There could be those amongst them that aren't actually in the face. There could be those amongst them that actually haven't been born from above. Comprende? <laughs> we go to church, we're part of the church. We sit in the seats, we stand when we sing. We put our offering in the offering. We put our best suits on. We wear nice ties. And Paul says, well, just examine yourself as to whether you are in the faith. And then he says this, test yourselves. What a word that is, friends. When was the last time you ever had an exhortation to test yourself whether you be in the faith? Do you not know yourselves? Oh, is it strong? That Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you are disqualified. Is it possible to be... Let me, let me put it like this, friends. What about Pilgrim's Progress? It's all about two cities when you think about it. He's rushing to get out of the city of destruction. And he has the book and he's under conviction of sin. Christian, I mean. And he meets evangelists on the way and he goes through the right ways. He makes wrong turns at times, but then the Lord graciously brings him back on track. In the end, you've got a man with Christian who's walking with him but he doesn't make it into the celestial city and it's as though John Bunyan sees that is, you can appear to be on the way you can appear to be walking in the right path you can appear to be with other Christians or with Christian but you're not in the city in the end. So the most biggest danger to any of us is ourselves. You can deceive yourself into thinking you're okay. Or you might get under conviction of sin during this message and then afterwards, because it's uncomfortable for you, you shake it off by doing something else. Somebody else did that once after a message. And they told me afterwards. I finished a message. I was, the Lord was very gracious. He spoke to a group of people. A, and about a year later, one of the people in that meeting told me by the end of that message, they were shaking literally. But they saw everybody else go out, so they just went out and shook the shaking off. If this message can shake you, let it. It says in the book of 2 Peter chapter 1, 2 Peter chapter 1, if you turn there with me please, 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 10. Now this is 
another word that's so important. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. In other words, has God called you? Are you one of the elect? Peter says, firm it up. Make sure you know. Put certain things into practice that are evidences that you are one of the elect. That you have been called of God. That you are truly his. You see, dear friends, as we consider just for a while the nature of a believer, the nature of somebody born from above, think about it like this. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit. And a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. And Jesus said concerning, concerning false prophets, he talked about them and he said, by their fruits you will know them. And what about the fact that Jesus said concerning those who came to him in Matthew chapter 7, we did miracles in your name. Have you ever allowed these words to sink in? Matthew 7 is quite scary. Matthew 7, 22. You read what's on the list. Matthew 7, 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. There's a clue to, to, to help you know whether you've been born again of the Spirit of God. We'll come to it, but one of them is obedience to the commandments of God. Many will say to me in that day, now just please think about this. Let these words sink deeply into your ears. How many will say to the Lord in this day, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? How many? Many. This isn't a small crowd. Folks, this is, if you like, the majority. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? Have we not? Now look at this. Cast out demons in your name. And done many wonders in your name. We did this, Lord. We did that. We did it all in your name. And the Lord says, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Be careful not to take up, be taken up with people simply because they've got big personalities. And they seem to be able to do things and get somewhere. Look for the fruit. A friend of mine wrote a wonderful hymn. And in that, in that song, she, she put the words like this. Look to the fruit. Look to the root, it will refute any deception to which you are blind. That's very good. Not all those who say, Lord, Lord, or do the miracles and all the rest. So what do we need? We need the right fruit. Do you know, even in Matthew 3 and verse 8, we read these words. This is when the Pharisees... come out to be baptized and the Sadducees they come out to his baptism and John says brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come therefore bear fruits worthy of repentance and do not think to say to yourselves we have Abraham as our father don't think to say to yourselves my mum and dad are Christians. Don't think to say to yourselves, 
I go to the biggest church in London. Don't think to say to yourself, I've come all the way, I travel miles to come to church. Do you see? What does John say? Therefore bear fruits worthy of repentance. In other words, if you say that you've repented, then there needs to be the evidence. And what is the evidence of, re of repentance? It speaks of the evidence of repentance in terms of fruits. And we read about this a little bit more in uh, Matthew chapter 3 and verse 10. And even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. <coughs> if there's no fruit on the tree, the axe is laid to the root. It can't do anything. But you see, if you're a bad tree, you can't bring forth good fruits. It's all about what type of tree you are which determines what type of fruit you have. Do you understand this? Um, let's look at M Matthew chapter uh, 12. Matthew chapter 12. And verse 33. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or else make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for a tree is known by its... What? Right, okay. Matthew chapter 7 and verse 15. I mentioned this verse a little bit earlier. Verse, let's read from verse, um, yeah, verse 16. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits, you will know them. So what is the fruit that the Lord is looking for in your life? Repentance is absolutely fundamental, isn't it? Repentance is fundamental. Fundamental. God is looking for the fruit of your confession, essentially, isn't he? He's looking for the evidence that what you say is what you mean, and it's worked in you by the power of the Spirit in your life. You see, when we become born again of the Spirit, the Word of God says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. When you become a Christian, there's a profound change that must happen in your life. Because if you are born again of the Spirit of God, you have become somebody new. You're a new creature, a new creation. The old is gone. And as a result of that, you will be different in the way you live. Now, Galatians 5 and verse 22 for onwards speaks to us of the fruit of the Spirit. Now, this, these are the characteristics of what should be in the life of us as believers. Galatians 5.22, but the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love. Joy. Peace long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. If none of these qualities have come into my life by means of me becoming a new creation, and I've been saying I've been a new creation for 10 years, but none of these things seem to be evident, I don't think I've got a genuine conversion. I've not really been born again of the Spirit of God. Because when you're born again, the Spirit of God comes into your life 
and you begin to be different. So what are the fruit? What is the fruit of the Spirit? What is the evidence that you've been born again? Well, before you were a Christian, you wanted to murder people in your heart. But now you love people that are not lovely. And you don't know how you can do it. Because naturally speaking, you're not lovely. But somehow, God has done something in you and you have a love for people that before you never thought you could have. That's an evidence that you've been born again of the Spirit of God. Love is the fruit of the Spirit. Love towards God. You love God. You want to worship him. You love his word. You love the people of God. And you even love your enemies. Joy. That's why you never, seen a, never see a Christian un, ever unhappy. Because they're always full of joy. Never see a Christian ever complain. Because they're always joyful. They're always gloriously rejoicing in the Lord, even in their struggles and situations. Never hear us complain, do you, Guy? I mean, it's just the way we are now, where Christians were born again, and so all that's gone out the window. Unfortunately, it doesn't seem to marry up, does it? You've got this old nature. But I want to tell you that if, naturally speaking, before you were born again, you were the world's biggest pessimist, if you are born again of the Spirit of God, over some period of time, the joy of the Lord will shine forth from you and people will wonder what's happened to you. You'll get to work and they say, what's happened to you, man? You're totally different. And you'll say, well, I'm on my way to heaven. I've got everything to rejoice about. Where are you going? <laughs> You see, there's the joy of the Lord. The joy of the Lord is your strength, absolutely. You should have joy in your life. If you don't, why not? I'm not talking about a feeling. I'm talking about a reality. Okay? Feelings are not always real. I'm talking about something deeper than feeling. I'm not talking about bubbly happiness. I'm talking about a joy that's deep-seated, that somehow gets to a depth beyond mere emotion. What does the scripture say? For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. The moment some people get baptized in the Spirit, you can't take the smile off their faces. Nor can they. <laughs> I remember a, a, a lady I was praying with, with her husband. We were praying together for this lady to get that she might come through to the baptism in the Holy Spirit and we prayed for her and she received by faith and we ended the time together by she just saying to us I just can't get the smile off my face <laughs> it's the spirit of joy amen so where's the joy in our lives it's part of the fruit of the spirit peace there's a peace with God. Long-suffering. How about that one? Do you suffer long? Kindness. How kind are we? Goodness. Faithfulness. Ongoing faithfulness. Gentleness. Self-control. These are all evidences that somebody has the Spirit of God in their lives. Okay? These are characteristics. i tell you another, second characteristic. We have the fruit of the Spirit. Number two, they don't go on in sin. Now, that's an important one. They don't go on in sin. You say, how can you say that? Well, I'll tell you. If you turn with me to one John, please. 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. 
verse 6. Whoever abides in him does not sin. Whoever sins neither sees him nor sorry, has neither seen him nor known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Now listen to that. Let, let, let no one deceive you. Okay? So this is this is important. He who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. He who sins is of the devil. Wow. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. For the purpose of the Son of God, for this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whoever has been born of God does not sin. It can't be clearer, can it? For his seed, that means the Lord's seed, remains in him. And he cannot sin. What terminology is this, brethren? He cannot sin because he has been born of God. So isn't, doesn't this mean that we should be sinlessly perfect? No. <laughs> because this is speaking in the present continuous tense. It's basically saying, if you've been born again of God, you will not go on in sin. Okay. One of the evidences that you've been born of God is that sin has lost its hold over your life, for you are no longer under law, but you're under grace, and sin shall not have dominion over you. And you are now in a position of grace whereby the power of God has come into your life. And even now you have a dislike for sins that you once enjoyed. 1 John 3.9 is basically saying, if you've been born of God, sin starts to lose its hold on you quickly, actually. You may find immediately when you're born again, you stop swearing. When before, your mouth was as foul as anything. But now, you stop swearing. And you haven't even tried to stop swearing. It's just happened. How did it just happen? This is what happened. I know of a godly man who, who this happened to. And in fact, another one at the back, right? <laughs> This brother found out after two weeks that he wasn't swearing anymore and he hadn't realized it. How did that happen? Did he strive to stop swearing? Did he make sure of his P's and Q's? Did he become a good Christian? No, he got a new nature. Hallelujah. And he became a new creation. Notice what it says. Whoever has been born of God does not sin. Why? Because he tries a lot harder once he becomes a Christian. Is that what it says? Well, you know it doesn't. For his seed remains in him. What is his seed? It's the seed of the word has got in. So you remember also... In 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 23, the scriptures say, Having been born again, not of corruptible seed. That means perishable. Not of perishable seed, but imperishable seed. Through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. Oh, this is tremendous, friend. This is tremendous. How shall we, who have died to sin, live any longer in it? Romans chapter 6. You have become a new creation in Christ. So the evidence that you've been born again must be that the fruit of the Spirit is there. The characteristics of that. Secondly, that sin has losing its hold. That does not mean that you never fall into sin. Praise God, if we sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ. Thank God 
that if we sin, if we confess that sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is glorious. This is tremendous. Thank God. But what should be happening is that there's less and less and less over the years of the old John Hayward. And more and more of this glorious incorruptible seed manifesting through my life the perfections of Jesus Christ. Praise God. What is another evidence, friends, that you've been born again? Well, you purify yourself. Because you have this hope in you. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 3. What does it say? And everyone who has this hope in him, has this hope in him, in the Lord, purifies himself just as he is pure. There's a sense in which you purify your life because God has put the hope in you. He works in both to will and to do. And then we need to work out that salvation with fear and trembling. But the only reason that we possibly seek to purify ourselves unto the fulfillment of the hope of the Lord is because the Lord has put the hope in our hearts in the first place. So even the outworking is the result of the working in. Are you still with me? I'm speaking a little bit quickly because I'm trying to get the message in. But you know what it's like, Linda. Some of us gents like to chat. We like to go on and talk and talk. I'm trying to keep going, keep a pace. Okay, so we see that we purify ourselves. If we have this hope, it's an evidence that we've been born again of the Spirit of God. Because you see, dear friends, the Scriptures say, without holiness, no man shall see the Lord. But if you have this hope, if God has put this hope in your heart, you will be purifying yourself. Not through self-effort, but through the life that's been put in you. Okay. okay. Now, what are the other evidence that we've been born again of the Spirit? We have a love for the brethren. This is why, dear friends, church life is so wonderful. That's why whenever we gather together or whenever any churches get together, you never have any Christian complaint against any other Christian. You always have harmony and peace and joy and lightness. And when somebody's done you a wrong, all you do is respond in love. Oh, friends, you don't have to go on YouTube too long before you find so many Christians have their swords out. And they're not trying to come against the enemy. They're trying to lob their heads off other believers. Isn't it incredible? Now, when you think about it, forget about names and all the rest. Think about it. If love of the brethren is an evidence of true new birth, we better have this. And we better worry if we don't have it. You see, you can destroy a brother or sister in the body with your tongue. You don't need a literal sword. Who can control his tongue? But the evidence that I've been born again of the Spirit of God is that I have a love for the brethren. And even if there's correction, even if there's reproof, even if there's need for strong words, it's done from the motive of longing for the return of the person I'm talking to. Not the bashing of themselves into the ground until I can tread them underfoot. No character assassination. Now think. What does the word of God say on this front? John, 1 John chapter 3, verse 14. I'm going to give you two really strong scriptures here, friends. Let the word do the talking. 1 John 3, verse 14. Please look at these scriptures. Don't take my word for what I'm saying. Have a look at the word and see if you agree with me. Whoever hates, sorry, verse 14, we know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. Did I read that correctly? Yes? Great. He who does not love his brother abides in death. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer 
has eternal life abiding in him. Now that's strong. That's very strong. John didn't say he who goes out with a knife and spills the blood of another brother is a murderer. He said if you've got hatred in your heart and you hate your brethren, how can you have eternal life in you? You see, it's contradictory, isn't it? How can the spirit of love be in me and me be a murderer at the same time? Unfortunately, our old nature comes back at times. And there's times when we want to throttle our brothers and sisters. But we know, due to the new nature in us, that we can't do that. And we must put that to death. Okay. Moving on swiftly. What does it say in 1 John chapter 4, verse 20? If, if someone says, I love God, and I, 1 John 4, verse 20, sorry. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, how can he love God, whom he has not seen? And this is the commandment that we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. There we have it. How clear the scriptures are. But you see, when you get into hatred of a brother and don't really realize it and allow that thing to take you over, you go into blindness. And when you're in blindness, you can't see where you're going, so you don't even know you're in the condition you're in. That's why we need to keep short accounts. Make sure that we're... And Jesus said, didn't he? John 13, 34. Do you remember? One of the most famous passages of scripture. John 13, 34. A new commandment I give unto you, I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love one for another. How will people know outside that Alex is a disciple of Jesus Christ? And that I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ? Because we have love for one another. So simple. So simple. What is another evidence that we've been born again of the Spirit of God? We endure. We press on. We go on with the Lord. Coming towards an end now. Write John chapter 8, please. And verse 31. What does this scripture say? Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Notice he says, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples. The word abide here from the Greek means to continue to remain and to dwell. He says, if you continue in my word, you are my disciples. If you continue following me, you are showing yourself to really be of me. Do you understand what I'm saying here? Yeah? So, for example, in Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 6, we have these words. Hebrews 3 and verse 6 says this. But Christ, as a son over his own house, whose house we are, if we hold fast the confidence of the rejoicing of the hope, firm to the end. So he's saying we're part of this house. We are this house if we hold fast the confidence. Not we will be this house. We are this house if we hold fast our confidence from the beginning through to the end. And then he goes on to say even more clearly in verse 14, For we have become, we have become, partakers of Christ if we hold fast the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. Are you with me? We have become partakers of Christ if we hold fast our confidence Firm to the end. He's not saying you one day will become a partaker of Christ if you hold fast your confidence to the end. He's saying you have become if you hold fast the beginning of your confidence firm through to the end. So your endurance in and of itself is an evidence that you're actually born again of the Spirit of God. 
It also says this in John chapter 6 and verse 60. John chapter 6 and verse 60, this is very clear. John 6 and verse 60. Have a look at these words. I'm going to read from verse 60. I'm trying to go as quick as I can. I'm... Put your seatbelts on. Therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, This is a hard saying. Who can understand it? Jesus had just been talking about eating of his flesh and drinking of his blood. Now, mark the words, please, in verse 60, his disciples. Have you registered that? Thank you. Then verse 61 says, When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples complained about this, he said to them, Does this offend you? What then if you should see the Son of Man descend where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who would betray him. And he said, therefore, I have said to you, that no one can come to me unless it has been granted to him by my father. Now notice verse 66. From that time, many of his disciples went back to walk with him no more. Notice verse 60 speaks about them being his disciples. Then after his words had offended them, he says that it's, of the, it's the spirit who gives life. For the flesh profits nothing. You see, there are people that followed Jesus and went with him and who seemingly were a learner of Jesus, but the Father hadn't brought them to the Son. It was of their own doing. And there's many people who come to church and join in and go with the flow, but they've never really been born and quickened of the Spirit. And so they go back. It's something we need to beware of, friends. Something we need to beware of. Moving on to 1 John again. 1 John chapter 2. And verse 19. Little children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard, the Antichrist is coming. Even now many Antichrists have come, by which we know that it is the last hour. Verse 19. They went out from us because they were... What? Not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have... They would have what? Continued. Continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest. That's the thing. That none of them were of us. There we are. So if you are of the Lord, you will continue in the flock. Yeah? Do you understand what I'm saying, friends? I hope this is making sense. Let me just quickly mention about the parable of the sower. What do you think about the fact that all of that seed was sown on different ground, but there's only one type of ground that was the right type of ground? There was one ground that was rocky, that was stony, and the seed sprang up quickly, it says in Mark's Gospel. But then it withered away when tribulations and trials came. Why? Because it had no root. It seemed to be living because <clears throat> it came up. And whenever we, whenever we see somebody come into the church and they seem to spring up amongst us, everybody's saying, oh, aren't they marvellous? And we don't think, well, is there true fruit? Remember, the word of God shows us that those who bring forth the fruit, some a hundredfold, some sixtyfold, some thirtyfold, do so with patience. It takes time. It's quick springing up. Be careful of it. But what is it that endures? Is this those who have truly been born again of the Spirit of God will seek on with God. Now, I haven't got time to do the rest of my sermon, which is for the next hour. So what I'm going to do is just share with you what I've got. Other evidences that we've been born of the Spirit is that we keep his commandments. 1 John 2, verse 3. 1 John 3, 24. 1 John 5 and verse 3. Another evidence that we've been born of the Spirit is that we have an anointing. 
to understand the scriptures. Very, very important. That's 1 John chapter 2, verse 20 and verse 27. Also confer with John chapter 14, verse 16, and John chapter 14 and verse 26. Those who are born of the Spirit practice righteousness. 1 John 2, verse 29, and 1 John 3 and verse 7. Those who are born of the born again are born of the Spirit. The Spirit dwells in them and works in them. 1 John chapter 3, verse 24. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 13 confer with Romans chapter 8 and verse 9. People who are born of the Spirit of God have an ear to hear the voice of the Lord, and they don't follow the stranger, they follow the voice of the shepherd. Amen? Amen. That's in John chapter 10. Just read the whole chapter, it's worth it. You have an ear to hear what the Spirit is saying. You've been somebody whose ears have been opened. Somebody who's born of the Spirit confesses Christ. 1 John chapter 4, verse 15. If you're born of the Spirit of God, you overcome the world. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 4. Let me read it. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. Our faith. That's worth cross-referencing with 1 John chapter 2 and verse 13, which speaks of young men. I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. Young men doesn't mean just people my age, I'm sorry I know, younger than me, but it speaks of people maturity in the Lord. If you've been, if you're a little child, you know your sins are forgiven. If you're a young man, you are strong, the word of God abides in you, you are somebody who has overcome the wicked one. And we know that 1 John 4, 4 says that he that is in us is greater than he that is in the world. If you are born of, if you are born again, you have the Son. One John chapter five, and verse twelve. If you are born of the Spirit of God, you are diligent over the keeping of your heart. One John chapter five, and verse eighteen, which says, "We know that whatever is born of God does not sin, go on in sin. But he who has been born of God keeps himself, and the wicked one." does not touch him. goes on to say in verse 19, we know that we are of God and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us an understanding that we may know him who is true and we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. What is eternal life? I want to tell you what eternal life is. It's Jesus Christ. And it's all about whether you're joined to him. John chapter 15. There are many other things we could mention. But we haven't got time. Do you see the difference now between religion and being born again of the spirit of God? Born again means I overcome, it means I deal with sin, it means I have faith, it means the Spirit is in me, it means I'm joined to Christ. It means I'm a new creation. Now let me put it on the positive footnote to end with. If you are born again this morning, all that I've spoken about is the result of what God has done for you. This gospel, this life, isn't won by running, by willing, by striving, by working, by hereditary, whatever you want to think. It's by means of the grace of God. And the Lord said one day, Malcolm, I'm drawing you unto myself. And Malcolm was born again of the Spirit of God. The Spirit blows where it wills. You can't make the Spirit blow over your soul. But one day,
the Lord had pity on your perilous condition. And he said, I see this child in their need. And his spirit came and broke down your resistance to God and gave you a longing for himself. Aren't we a blessed people, friends? If we are in the Jerusalem above, we are so blessed. Let's end with a word of prayer, shall we? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the word of God. We pray that you'd help us to exhibit the fruit that you are after in our lives. Oh God, we want to pray. Help us to practice what you've made us. Not to try and make the tree good, but Lord, you've made us new creations if we've been born of your spirit. But oh God, that we would comply to you. We would, Lord, we would truly dwell abide in the Lord Jesus help us to endure help us to press on give us victory over certain sins we're still struggling with but may the evidence heap up and may we make our calling and election sure and may we know the Lord Jesus as our shepherd and listen to no other voice oh Lord grant this we pray in Jesus name amen well, dear friends, as we've tried to make the sermon shorter during this period of time, I've just made them longer.